My name is Angela. I'm 31 years old. I'm originally from New Jersey, but I moved to Florida about nine years ago. And I was on a trial drug that failed for me. And from what I've also read quite a few other people, um, I need to unfortunately start from the very beginning, which uh, is when I was younger, because uh, it all kind of adds up mm -hmm. and is the reason why uh, the trial drug failed. Um, uh, when I was younger, my biological father abused both my mom and I physically emotionally mentally and when he separated from my mom uh you would think things would get better but of course it was hard because I lost my dad didn't understand why I was like four yeah uh I got very angry because I was only shown anger when there was difficult things going on in my dad's life. Um, he was a repo man at one point in Camden and was literally bringing me with him at like three, four years old. So I had experienced some really off the wall stuff and I remember all of that. Um, so when I was struggling with my emotions, I literally just showed it via anger. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember the first time I really had a bad issue. I was in the first grade and you would think first grade, you're like, what, six, seven. I was so frustrated at the teacher. I literally picked up the desk and threw it at her. Like, just because I couldn't communicate like what I was going through. Um, got better. Like I got my mom took me to get testing, see what was up, if I had OCD, ADD, ADHD. Um, the only thing they found was that my IQ was a little bit higher than normal. And they're like, she's probably bored. <laughs> but um, when it came to my dad not being in the picture, I had had my stepdad uh, come in. And it, that really helped, I think, a lot more than I give credit for. But I still had that you're not my dad attitude, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> Didn't appreciate him. Um, I think it's confusing, too, when you're that young. It's like, and especially when you have that kind of, like, anger built up inside. Yeah. I feel like that's a normal reaction. Yeah. And and it's it's a shame because all he did was accept me. And all I did was just show anger. But yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't at him. I was more angry at my biological dad for leaving. Because, right. again, you don't understand why. I mean, I knew he wasn't a good person. And I knew he did bad things to my mom and I. But in the end, he's still your dad. And I was surrounded by people, like friends, who had both of their parents in their lives. And I wanted that so bad. Um, but when I, it got better, um, I didn't need to be on medications or anything when I was younger. But then, unfortunately, when I was a teenager, I was in abusive relationships, was taken advantage of some in some situations. And I actually ended up being Baker acted when I was in high school. Um, I had just gotten so angry. I was bottling everything up. I wasn't telling anybody about the abuse. And then basically when I couldn't take it anymore, I would just lose it. And my mom and I would fight and unfortunately get violent with each other. Um, I think it was more because she's safe to me. Um, she's my mom. She's <laughs> We've literally been best friends our entire my entire life. And I treat her, she was treated more like a sister than a mom. Right. And I think that's probably why I yeah. felt comfortable beating up on her, which is a really crappy way of putting it, but that's exactly what it was. It was very violent, very toxic, screaming, yelling. But again, I didn't have the right coping mechanisms. I just 
was showing the product of what I was given as a child. And, um, and it wasn't necessarily from her, but you know, she did give it back when I was giving it to her cause you know, I was not being nice. Right. <laughs> but, um, unfortunately I was self-harming. I was, uh, doing just horrible things. I was sneaking out, you know, stealing cars, <laughs> doing not so good things. Um, but like when my mom would try and help me, literally she would just pin me down and I would just bash my head into the concrete floor because I just didn't care. I was just so hurt and so, like, I, I would say probably just exhausted emotionally, mentally, um, physically even. And I just didn't care. And I didn't, again, didn't have the right coping mechanism. So I, my first time being big reacted was... I think it was a sophomore in high Explain school. Explain to me what that is. So it's like a 5150. So it's involuntary. Okay. Um, basically, I had been, the, my parents had called the police an ambulance on me so many times to get me help because they just literally didn't know what to do um, that the state stepped in okay. and the state was like, mm, there's something going on here. She really needs more help because like I would go, the, the ambulance would come, they would take me, I would be evaluated. I'd be there for like sometimes just 12 to 24 hours. They would send me home like with a counselor that came to the house or whatever. Um, like DCF came to the house as well. And they because they just didn't understand like like why is she having problems why is she I was just constantly outbursting right. and, and in any way shape or form and unfortunately I had a little sister that was in the house um we're 12 and a half years uh difference so she's younger and they wanted just to make sure that whatever was going on with me also wasn't going on with her, which thank God it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And for some reason or another, I don't know if it was subconscious or what, but I definitely chose to not like bring that around her. Even though I was going through it, like I would be downstairs and she would be upstairs and it would be like my mom where she wouldn't even be in the house. I would try to make sure she wasn't in the house. But obviously when you're going through mental health stuff, you really can't help what's who's around. Yeah. Um, I do know that she had to be taken away from uh, the house a couple of times by my aunt um, just because the, the police had to be called and they need to remove her. And um, But it was all, again, it was all me and just the way I was handling things. I was rejecting medication because in my mind that was, oh, I'm crazy. If I have to take medication, that means there's something wrong with me. That means I'm crazy. Right, it like just confirms that, it. Yeah, it was like, well, it was just like that, I feel like that typical stigma mm-hmm. you have. And, and when you're a teenager, I guess I was like 16, I, I was like, no, there's no way you can't tell me what to do, you know? And yeah. Then, so the involuntary hospitalization happened. Actually, uh, it was around this time. It was through Thanksgiving. I was actually, it was my first time. And how old were you? 16. Okay. And it was so hard because that was the first time I'd ever been away from my family during a holiday. Like, and, uh, and they couldn't even come visit me that day because like visitation was like specific days. Right. And I was in Pennsylvania and my parents live in New Jersey. And I think it was like a 45 minute drive. So even just getting to me was a hard time for them. But, um, I remember like that was the first time I felt like a guinea pig in the medical sense where it was oh, we think this might be what's wrong with you. So we're just going to put you on some medications and hope that that's what works. And yeah, I, I feel was, like that whole process is like trial and error. And 
scarily enough, the first medication they put me on was Abilify and I had tremors and I was shaking so bad I couldn't even eat because I literally just, every time I tried getting a fork or spoon to my mouth, the food would be off of it by the time it got so to my face. So what did they originally like say that they thought or diagnosed you with? Um, so they thought I was bipolar. I was undiagnosed as bipolar for years. I think I, I was and just, they were just trying to manic depressive is main the main one um i would have real high highs and real low lows which is why i would self-harm um but those high highs i mean i literally would be on cloud nine nothing could stop me but i had that invincible mindset Mm -hmm. and that's not healthy (laughs) because then that's when i was doing really stupid things sneaking out of the house stealing cars doing nonsense um but I, I definitely just anger just was just so um, they said that because I was basically hiding it from my family. I was hiding it from everybody. I was being controlled and manipulated and also gaslighted into being like, oh, well, that's not really happening. Like, you just think that's what's happening. It's really not that bad. And so I was then translating it to the doctors of, oh, well, it's not that bad because yeah. <laughs> Um, but in the end, like in reality, I was being told, oh, you're not pretty. You're, you're too skinny. Your eyes are too big. Your eyes are too brown. You're, you know, whatever. Your smile's messed up and, oh, oh, you don't have breasts. Like just anything that people could bully me about, I was being bullied and ridiculed on. And so I just had no self-esteem and the self-harming was a big factor because I was self-harming in more than just cutting. I was, I had swallowed a thumbtack just to prove a point like I was just super reckless just didn't care I took an entire bottle of Tylenol um crazy enough I have a diagnosed blood condition and that's probably the only thing that saved my life was because I have a condition that my blood doesn't know when to stop clotting so I have thick blood all the time so literally when I took all that Tylenol it it probably really thinned my system out but I probably needed it anyway so Mm -hmm. I was okay um, and, but like I said, I was bashing my head against the floor. I was fighting my mom, who was a larger person than I am. And, you know, that it would get really physical and I would get hurt or she would get hurt. And so it was just, it was, un- I was just unsafe to be around my little sister who was, uh, if I was 16, she was three, four. So it's, it was really hard, but definitely necessary um, I did get put on medications. I had to see a psychiatrist. Um, I started seeing a therapist. And surprisingly enough, about a year went by and they were like, no, you're okay. You're doing much better. And they actually took me off the medication. Wow. Um, yeah. And but they diagnosed you with being bipolar. Uh, no. So they, they said it was um, not bipolar, but um, I, I can't even remember the name of it. It was... It's like, it's like the step below bipolar. Okay. It's, it's not, it was like un, un, not unclassified. I can't remember what it's called, but essentially I was bipolar. I just don't think they wanted to tell me because okay. I think I was in such like denial about everything 
that they didn't like want to make things worse yeah. in my head. So, so they like, put you on medicines and then when they felt like you were doing better. Yeah. They yeah. Took you off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're okay. Because they thought that I had gotten or they felt I had gotten to a point where I was no longer in the abusive relationship. Right. I had grown. I had, you know, moved on and. I was in therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I was in therapy. Granted, I wasn't like much better, but I was better than what I was. And I got off the medications. I thought I was doing great. Um, I would say I I was dating older guys, but like that was just, I didn't really like people my age. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, I guess that's where kind of my little bit of recklessness started to come in. Um, But then when I was 19, I started dating somebody who was much older than me. And unfortunately, he was a narcissist, abusive, and very controlling. And so it kind of put me back into that bad headspace. Um, I didn't end up having, like, a relapse of needing, like, major psychiatric help, but I definitely was being gaslit. I definitely was having a lot of self-confidence issues. I was self-harming off and on. Um, But he... Ran a car business. I'm super into cars. And uh, so I was helping. But he was lying to me where he was... When I was away doing my firefighting and EMT job and wasn't with him, he was doing drugs, selling drugs, away at strip clubs, doing all this stuff. But then would lie to me and be like, oh, no, no, that's not happening. Oh, they're just lying. That's just a rumor. They just are trying to stir up drama. And it put me... Again, it would just kind of make my self-esteem go worse and worse and I would always question myself and and then um in 2015 I went into the hospital and I had extreme side pain on my right side now normally that's a huge red flag for potential appendicitis and for some reason, I couldn't get a hold of him that day and or that morning. And I went to work. I was throwing up. I was sick. I just was in dying pain, but I couldn't get a hold of him. And in my mind, he was dead in jail. Something was wrong. Something was wrong. I, so like, I didn't even want to take care of myself because I was so concerned with him. And uh, by the time I, I couldn't take it anymore, I had to go to the hospital my mom came and uh, I was like, please, can you just call him? And she was like, fine, okay, I'll call him. Well, yeah, he decided that he wanted to end things. Now we were engaged. So he was like, no, I'm breaking off the engagement. I want the engagement ring back. But I'm already in the hospital. And and it was just like out of nowhere. Random. Just completely out of the blue. Now, um, I guess I forgot to say this. When I was in high school, when I was a freshman, so 15 or 14, 14, 15. No, I was 15. Um, it was the end of 2007. I had an ovarian cyst rupture on my right side and I needed to have a left one drained. Um, again, random out of the blue. I actually was on my winter break in Vermont when this happened and needed emergency surgery. Um, so kind of thought it was something like that again, where it was just a, a ruptured cyst. Um, and I'm in the hospital and I'm telling them, like, this is what's going on. And in the process, you know, of nurses coming in and out, they overheard that I had, you know, been broken up with. Well, the doctors then were like, oh, that's what's wrong. 
she's doing this because she's seeking attention because she's hurting because her ex just broke up with her not because i'm in serious pain but my mom was like no this happened after she was already here like you can't say that and they're like oh and they didn't want to take me seriously but i literally was in the hospital for nine days i did everything from ct scans um i did they gave i got this death drink it literally it was i can't even like it it I was a firefighter in EMT. If death smell was in a liquid form, it was this drink. And what it was, was it was to clear my system out. It was supposed to get rid of everything stuck to the inside of my intestines and my bowels and just get it out and whatever it was. And that was supposedly what was going to fix my problem. Because they were like, oh, your appendix is fine. Your ovaries are fine. You're fine. And so drank this juice didn't help and eventually they're just like we need to send you home and i'm like well what 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 about my side pain and they're like well you know you can follow up with a gi doctor and your obgyn and i'm like of course you're gonna blame it on the female problems even though you've looked and you can't see any female problems so i go home and at that point i was over you know the abusive relationship i actually kind of saw it as like a little bit of like a get out of jail free card and i had three job offers i had one in florida one in texas and one in arizona and i had to wait a little bit and i got cleared probably about three weeks after i got out of the hospital and i moved to florida (laughs) did they ever figure out what the problem was so when i was moving to florida that was my goal was i needed to find a doctor that was willing to hear me because you still had the pain yeah because it was it it was constant it would come in like it would get worse in waves Mm -hmm. but it would die down but it would die down to like a seven like it would never go below like that it was just always there to the point where like when i would sleep i would literally sleep with my elbow like into my side like on my side just to apply pressure just Mm -hmm. to like relieve it a little bit um but it was unbearable so go to florida figuring they have really good doctors down there and i moved down there for a job you know so i just i had nothing else to lose find this doctor doctor's like okay no problem let's operate um we go in and all she finds is scar tissue but a lot of scar tissue and she knocks it down and she was like you know i i couldn't find anything except for this but you know that should help knocking down the scar tissue should help you know we should keep following up whatever um it kind of helped, but I would say within six to eight months, it was back to being super intense. Um, Did she think the scar tissue was from that other so, surgery? Yeah, so okay. she's she didn't she didn't know why I had so much scar tissue because it's typical for you to get scar tissue after a surgery, mm-hmm. but she said it was a lot. Okay. Um, they call them adhesions, and uh, so by the next year in October, I had another cyst rupture, and when unfortunately the doctors again didn't believe me i spent five days going to hospitals and doctors literally telling me that i was fine or oh you're just having female related issues you're fine so i think like i was at work monday evening i felt 
the cyst rupture. I knew. I was like, this is different than my normal side pain. This is probably what this is. I literally texted my boyfriend at the time, or my ex-husband now, <laughs> and I was like, hey, had a cyst rupture. Just letting you know if it's still really bad in the morning, I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, okay. Woke up really bad. Go to the hospital. They look. They can see fluid around my ovary. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's what happened. Unfortunately, we can't do anything. You don't need surgery for that. You're okay. They send me home. They're like, so how does that usually go away? Like they think it'll just go away on its own. So yeah. So basically, once it's already ruptured, your body will just absorb. Okay. The, but it's painful. Oh, it's so. It's it's the worst. Okay. It's it literally just feels like like there's like a hot knife like just in that area, and. And, like, nothing relieves it, of course. Yeah. And so I, they're like, oh, go follow up with your OB. But what they're doing during this is they're literally pushing on that spot while they're doing the ultrasound. Like, so it's causing even more pain. And, like, so I literally was, like, getting sick from it. Like, they were just, like, we're making my pain so much more worse. Yeah. And then, so the next day, I go to my OB. My OB was like, no, that's a lot of fluid. I'm pretty convinced it's your appendix. Um, I want to do some testing. I'll call you and see if you need to go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. Yeah, he ends up sending me to the hospital. But I go to a different hospital because it's the one that's literally right next door to his office. Like, I don't even think I made it out of the parking lot when he was like, no, 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 you need to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we go to the hospital again. I'm there for 12 hours and they're like, yeah, no, you're fine. It's not your appendix. Just go home. So that was like Wednesday, I think I finally went home. So Thursday I was home all day, sick, could barely get out of bed. And again, I'm just, all these doctors are telling me I'm fine. Like has to be in my head, has to be a me problem. And Friday comes and my ex-husband was like, you you don't look okay he's like you're white as a ghost like are you sure you're okay and I'm like yeah I'm just gonna take a shower if you don't hear from me in like 10-15 minutes there's something wrong you need to come home because he was leaving for work and so I'm in the shower and yeah I pass out and he doesn't hear from me luckily he worked on the street he comes home finds me he's like no picks me up, dresses me, takes me back to the original hospital. And it was like, you guys need to figure out what is wrong with her because this has been going on for a week. She, there's something wrong. She looks like she's dying. Fix her. So they go back to ultrasound my ovary. Can't find my ovary. They're like, then they start panicking. Now they're like, oh, we might, we, we might have a big problem, which is she might have torsion, which is when your ovary flips. And it cuts off the circulation and your ovary can essentially die and cause major, major problems. And so they're panicking and they're like, oh, and by the way, we don't have an OBGYN specialist on call right now. So we have to transfer you back to the other hospital. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. And next thing I know, I'm being rushed into an ambulance and then we're going lights and sirens to the hospital. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are you guys rushing me? Like, you guys just said I have, like, I have to go see the specialist. They're like, no, we're taking you and you're going right into surgery. And I'm like, oh, it's that bad. And they're like, yeah, no, it's that bad. 
it's not what happened. They definitely took their time. I think it was like two hours before, like, because again, they wanted to do their own ultrasounds, mm-hmm. but couldn't find my ovary. Went to the other side, they could find that one, but they were like, no, we need to do surgery. So literally at one in the morning, I had emergency surgery. And um, what happened was my liver was actually pulled down and was actually squishing my ovary. And that was why they couldn't find it. And that was from more scar tissue. Wow. And um, so the scar tissue had actually caused a blockage in my intestines as well, which is why I kept throwing up. I like had this like gas feeling like right under my sternum. And I'm like, man, like I haven't eaten. I haven't drank anything. Like, what is that? And and that's what it was. They said it was within an hour or two of bursting, then, which would have cost me to go septic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how is that acceptable? I've been coming for four or five days and now you're telling me oh yeah there was something really wrong with you but sorry none of us caught it yeah yeah and of course florida is you can't go after them for anything if you survive like you literally have to die in order for you to be able to like go after a doctor for malpractice so i went home and i was like okay well there we go we have another answer i have more scar tissue but there was never a reason for why this scar tissue was there. It was just there. And so that was twenty end of 2016. Um, beginning of 2017, I was in a really bad car accident. I was on the side of the road. My car broke down and a kid texting and driving rear-ended uh, my ex-husband, who was in a separate car first, sent him across three lanes of traffic up a curb into a telephone pole. And then he had enough momentum to continue and hit me. And I went into oncoming traffic, but I ripped my e-brake up, was able to stop. Um, But I broke my sternum, my knee hit the dashboard, I crushed a disc in my lower back. And essentially for some reason that like almost amplified my medical problems. It like almost made everything worse. Um, And So I was in even more excruciating pain and the side pain was then affecting my back and was affecting my leg. And um, by 2018, I had, I think it was in May, I went and same thing, had major, major side pain, couldn't eat, couldn't drink. Um, I went to one hospital. I was there for nine days. I actually had an endoscope done, which is when they stick it down your throat. Um, and they're like, oh, you have stomach ulcers. So you need to see this GI doctor. And, um, but they're like, but it's still a female problem. So you need to go back to your OB. And now I've been seeing an OB this entire time, the same one. Um, and he's never felt like it was an OB problem. So I'm like, why does everyone keep blaming female issues? Like, you know, it's, it's, oh, you're hormonal. Oh, you're just having cramps. Oh, you're, you're ovulating. It's, it's always just being blamed on that. (laughs) It's just like, no, that's not the problem. I Mm -hmm. promise. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Um, and then I got discharged from that hospital because they were going to send me to University of Miami, which was like two hours away. And I was like, I can't do that. So instead, I actually had them transfer me up to University of Pennsylvania. Um, And I was there for three days. Uh, They diagnosed me with C. diff, which is actually a 
uh, <laughs> a ridiculous illness you get if like you have like fecal matter that can get transferred, whether it's from your phone, from anything you drink, from, you know, just not washing your hands, whatever. And, um, but it ended up being an improper diagnosis <laughs> because I was retested when I went back to Florida and they're like, you don't have this. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, cause they put me on medication and I yeah. could have been, and they're like, no, you, you like have it. Like you have to go through like rounds of medication to get off of it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, so then what do I have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to a, another hospital for like another week and, um, then they did a colonoscopy and they were like, oh, you have, uh, so I have bladder ulcers and stomach ulcers and they couldn't see anything else wrong with my colonoscopy, but they were like, oh, we recommend you seeing a urologist. So I go and see a urologist. That was when I found the bladder ulcers. But they were like, you seem to have pelvic floor problems. And I'm like, what the heck is pelvic floor problems? And not to be graphic, but your vagina walls are, uh, your muscles basically run up and down. And when you have, I have, um, it's called pelvic floor muscle spasms, where basically one of those bands of muscles will literally spasm and get really tight. And that's painful, makes sex painful, makes anything painful, even just going to the bathroom, you know, you, you, you don't realize like what muscles you use when you go to the bathroom, but even just like that little bit of pressure, it causes pain. And I was thinking that it was just like all coming from this side pain. And they're like, oh no, this is, this is, you know, more your problem. So I'm like, okay, so maybe it was all along a female issue. So I see that a urologist specialist who happens to be an OBGYN specialist and they do these infusions which is probably one of the most painful things I ever had to go through. I had to empty my bladder. They catheterize you. They they fill your bladder with this medication. It literally burns. You have to hold it for an hour, and then you have to expel it, which also burns. Yeah. And, you know, and this entire time I'm just, like, praying, like, that this is going to give me some relief and like some sort of like almost like sense of normality again because at this point i'm just like i feel like a medical mess i was 28 and i'm like why do i have all these things wrong with me that i feel like an older person should be going through Mm -hmm. and um eventually it came to where i had been in the hospital for about a month and a half off and on to different hospitals and they were like, no, you need to go to your OB. And I'm like, fine, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to my OB. I'm going to spell out everything I've done, all of the steps I've gone through, all of these, pro- like the colonoscopy, the endo, everything. And I s- spell it all out for him. And he was like, well, you've done all your homework. You've checked all the boxes. Yeah, let's do surgery. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that was all I needed to do was ask nicely. <laughs> and um, so I got scheduled for surgery and I was so excited but I had no idea what to expect because I'm like what is what is this surgery gonna bring that the others haven't and um I had my surgery and I woke up and at the foot of my bed my doctor was standing at my bed and he goes well kid you were right you had something very wrong with you and I was like what you know you're half a 
coming out of anesthesia. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, your mom and husband will explain it to you. And I'm like, what? Okay. And uh, they come in and my mom's crying, you know, because she's just so relieved. She's like, we finally have an answer. And I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And they, what, the, what happened was they had actually found a fibroid finally on the back of my uterus, but my colon was actually attached to my uterus with scar tissue. So this entire time I've been having these scar tissue problems, there's probably been fibroids hiding somewhere causing these scar tissues. And so basically what he explained was, is I now have endometriosis of these other organs, which is really crazy to think about. Um, and at the time, I really didn't know what that truly meant. I just was like, oh, I have this problem. It can be fixed. No, it can't be fixed. There's no cure. And I didn't know that. And, you know, so when I go to my post-op, which is probably about a week later, I'm alone. My my mom had gone back to Jersey. My ex-husband was at or my husband at the time he was at work and um they bring me in and my doctor comes in but comes in with two nurses and I was like that that's weird because it's just post-op and um and they're like you know have you have you considered children have you you know considered you know what what your next steps are and I'm like I don't understand what do you mean and they're like well with endometriosis the longer you have it, the more infertile you are. And based on your history, you've probably, you've had symptoms and signs since you were 14, 15, when I had my first cyst rupture and needed my first surgery. And I was like, okay. I'm like, but I'm, I'm 28. What do you mean? Like I, I should be able to have kids. And he's like, well, he's like, you've had polycystic ovary, which is why you constantly have these cysts. He's like, but now you have endometriosis. And he's like, really, the only cure for endo is a temporary cure. And that's getting pregnant because endometriosis is when you basically get your period on the outside of your uterus. And the only way to stop that is to be pregnant because you stop getting a period when you're pregnant. So it's the only way to make it better per se. But I had no other symptoms of endometriosis like I didn't have a crazy heavy period I didn't have really bad cramping I just had this consistent side pain <laughs> and um but it wasn't my decision to make alone you know I had to go home and talk to my ex-husband and I was I knew I wasn't ready to have kids yeah and so I go home and I'm just like this is such a weird decision and a weird conversation I need to have because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ready to think about this. And, you know, and I talked to him about it and his first gut reaction was like, no, no, we can't do that. And, and so we both came to the realization that we weren't prepared and we weren't ready and we probably weren't going to be ready for like another five years. And, and unfortunately that that meant that I probably wasn't ever going to have children of my own. And that was really hard and very isolating because by the time I was, my mom was my age, she already had two kids. And friends from home or even when where I live now in Florida, they're having kids. They're getting married and everything. And so I'm just like, oh, like now I'm going to be one of those people that's just kind of standing there and always attending baby showers and never having kids of their own. And, 
you know, that was like really scary and sad. And because I did imagine having kids, I, I essentially was like the little half third parent to my little sister. Like that kid means everything to me. Um, I would beg and plead to like just push the stroller or change her diaper, which sounds so silly, but like I love, I love kids. And um, so when I came to that decision of, you know, I'm going to move forward without having kids, my doctor was like, okay, well, another next step we can do is this trial drug. And you would think with a trial drug, it would come with instructions, pamphlets, side effect, warnings, anything, uh, what else this drug could be used for. And I literally got nothing. I was just told, hey, this is a trial drug. It's in phase three, which is before the final FDA approval phase. And uh, your options are basically this or continue to suffer with what you're dealing with. And I was like, okay, well, if I take this medication, what does this mean? Do I have to take other medications? And he was like, well, yeah, you're going to need to be put on estrogen as well. And I'm like, okay. So he was like, there's two milligrams. There's a low dose and a high dose. He's like, we'll start you off on the low dose. And if we need to, we'll bump you up. And I'm like, okay. So I start off on the low dose. I'm okay. I'm on it for probably two or three months. And I was still having some, like, I, I would say, like, reactions where I was having pain. And um, so he's like, okay, we'll, we'll bump you up to the higher dose. We'll put you on uh, progesterone. And so I got bumped up. Oh, I'm sorry. The trial drug is called Oralissa. Um, or I guess it's now no, no longer a trial drug. It's actually approved. Um, so Oralissa is the name of the drug. And... I got bumped up to the higher dose and within five weeks of being bumped up to the higher dose, I have my first panic attack to the point where I hyperventilated and passed out and I never had a panic attack in my entire life. And crazy enough, I came up for, to New Jersey for Thanksgiving. Um, I went to uh, my biological father, came back into my life when I was 19. I've tried to have an, a relationship with him. It's not the greatest, but I've tried. Um, but unfortunately, that visit just didn't go well. And I came home and I just, my mom couldn't call me down. My ex-husband couldn't call me down. My, like my stepdad, nobody could call me down. And I li like literally passed out. And when I came to, like my mom was crying, like everyone was crying and and she was just like, what is this from? And I just, I didn't know. I had no answer. And, you know, and I just thought it was just some weird fluke freak accident, weird thing. And so I go home and all of a sudden, same thing, have a panic attack over something really small, like that would never give me anxiety before. And then I noticed anytime I was stopped in a car because of my car accident, I would start having panic attacks. I'd be, I'd be death gripping the chair. I'd be trying to like hold the handle of the door, like just anything. I'd be like looking in the mirrors and, and just very panicky. And then it even escalated further to, if I lo leave my house, 
something's gonna happen. A palm frond's gonna fall in front of my car while I'm driving and make me crash. A coconut's gonna fall and smash my windshield. As I'm driving, someone's gonna drop something over the the bridge and crash into me because I drive a convertible. So it's like something could fall through my car very easily. Like just very unrealistic. I mean, I guess at some point they could be realistic, yeah. but it was just like very extreme. Thoughts. Yeah. Like, I, I call it, now I call it hurricane brain. Like it would just start off as something really small and it would just spiral out of control and, and be unreal. And, and, and I couldn't ever stop myself. Like I couldn't ever tell, like, even though I knew it was something that could, was completely irrational, I couldn't like my brain just right. wouldn't accept it. And, uh, I started having these, episodes where I was losing memory and it started off small where it was like five to ten minutes of memory being gone and then it would be 30 to 45 minutes and like within those moments it wasn't like past memories no yeah it was within it was within those moments so basically my brain was fighter flighting and it was flighting beyond like to the point where literally it would check out and I I say like somebody else was driving my body because it whatever was in control was not me and like my mom uh, my mom eventually had to come down and help and she said basically I was in an episode like she was like you weren't you she's like it was like it was like you somebody had taken your mind and put somebody else's in it like I was just doing things completely out of character and and this is the hard part of my story because uh this is where a lot of my shame and where a lot of I like I guess where I've kind of closed the door to the outside world for people to know like this part but I think it's important um I had a service my original service dog her name is sylvia and she's a shevsky amazing amazing dog very smart and she was a puppy i'd never had a puppy before um i my parents when we adopted our my parents dog he was i want to say he was like one and a half or two um so he was past like the puppy stage past the chewing up things past the going potty whatever in the house and I had never had that, and I unfortunately got her during that time period of having the mental issues. And, you know, I had already, we had already planned on getting her, like we had already paid for her prior to this mm-hmm. all happening. So it was kind of like a, she unfortunately came into the picture at the wrong time. Um, and... I was having, so she would chew something up or do something or uh, play bite me or whatever, and I would black out. And from what I was, unfortunately, I don't remember, so I I have to just go based off from what I was told. Um, but I I unfortunately was harming her, and it's so hard to say because. I'm, I'm my mom. I swear she, she would have put on my bingo card of life me growing up and becoming a veterinarian because I love animals. Animals are my passion. You saw I have my two cats, mm-hmm. my, my baby boy, and I have my I have my current service dog. Her name is Zilla, 
And um, I, I could never imagine harming an animal in my entire life. But I, unfortunately, whatever was causing those problems was harming her. Um, never to the point where she needed to be taken to the vet. Never to the point where, I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> there are unfortunate circumstances where it could have looked like I did something to her to cause her to go to the vet, but it wasn't the case. It, unfortunately, I was just going through it at the same time that she just was a klutz puppy. My current dog, it, her job is to run into and slide into walls and doors like she does it for fun. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, uh, Sylvia broke her hip and looked like I had done it and, and I didn't. She was she came she had fallen down the stairs and I can completely and totally understand why people wanted to blame me. But I remember everything about that and to me that shows like that I wasn't in an episode and I literally tried to catch her and, and save her and she basically my my cat was going down and she was going up and they ran into each other and she just slid backwards down the stairs and along the rungs and broke her uh the head of her femur off of her leg and needed to have that um removed so unfortunately you can't help a puppy <laughs> playing mm -hmm. especially on stairs um but I, I will own up to the things I did do. So, I mean, I was, so like she chewed on my glasses. Um, that was something that caused a really big um, problem. Um, I, it wasn't like caught in the beginning that something was happening with her because it was either happening when nobody else was around. And again, it was like a two or five minute episode. Um, and then like, I would just be like, why am I in why am I in the living room or why am I in the bedroom or the So you bathroom? would basically just black out. Yeah. And black. you had no memory of those however long it was, yeah. a few minutes or whatever. Yeah. Could just complete And then and your mom said if she was ever with you during those times that it didn't it didn't even seem like you. Yeah. Okay. So But I, you wouldn't pass out. It was just like somebody else was there. Yeah. Somebody okay. else it was like like so it was like fight or flight. Basically like I would almost like zone out and like my brain would just check out and yeah. then it would just whatever would just be in control and so by so I started it I want to say in like September and then August September and by March we had realized that I was having blackout episodes didn't realize how like bad they like I think they were like just starting to get worse yeah. so we finally figured out like this is this only started happening after I started this drug. And so we told my doctor and we're like, hey, this is this. What the heck is happening? Like, this is not normal. She's not acting right. She's having panic attacks. Like, she can't function, can't go to work, can't get out of bed. What is happening? And he was like, oh, yeah, that that's that, you know, that could be a side effect of the drug. You know, I can, we can reduce her. And my mom was like, no, you're taking her off the drug. And, and so they did, but unfortunately, because I had been on it for, I think, like six or eight months, they literally said, oh, well, it's built up in her system. It's going to take six or eight months to come out. So not realizing that what meant that that was six to eight more months of blackout episodes. And it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't an every week thing. Sometimes it could be, but like it was more random in the beginning. 
Um, but then after we took me off the drug, I was getting to the point where I was starting to fight my ex-husband. I, um, unfortunately, I don't even remember what it was about, but he was just trying to stop me from hurting myself. And I swung my keys on my lanyard and it, it got him in the head. I can't remember where, I just remember it was bleeding a lot. And I felt so horrible because I didn't mean for that to happen, but unfortunately psychiatrically I couldn't help that that is what happened and so that's the thing like it's I have to own what I did even though I wasn't in control I mean I still did it you know but I do have an understanding that I wasn't in control and that's that is unfortunate but it's also at the same time that's so scary and I again very isolating feeling very I'm alone or I'm not experiencing this. You guys are saying that this is happening, but there's no way I'm doing these things. There's no way I would never hurt Dylan. I would never hurt my animals. I would never hurt my mom. I would never do any of that stuff. And I'm like, so you guys have to be lying. You guys are just making me out to be crazy. That that was the mindset I had. And because it, again, it, it hurt to, to hear those things because it wasn't in my nature. And uh, so... I ended up having to be Baker acted again. Um, my mom came down. So my mom hadn't been down throughout this until about, so I think I came off in March. I think my mom came down in August because Dylan, my ex-husband was just like, I can't do this anymore because she's just, she's just beyond recognition and I don't know what to do anymore. And my mom was like, what do you mean? Like, cause she had seen it like in glimpses, but like, obviously she's not living with yeah. me. She's not experiencing it every day. And so I'm very lucky that my mom works remotely. So she was able to come down and stay with us for, I think she was down for six or seven weeks. Like I said, it was like August. And, um, my, my ex-husband was working full time at the time. So like literally I was just home all day by myself in bed, not getting out of bed, not doing anything. Um, except for, uh, having random episodes with unfortunately my old service dog. So the theory was maybe my mom can come in and like help counteract those episodes and stop or figure out what's causing the triggers and then my mom also kind of just wanted to see what it was for me to be in an episode but my mom was like you were just in an episode the entire time she's like it was just not you were just not yourself uh uh, (laughs) perfect example part i guess i should preface that um during all of this i was just in so much pain i was on pain medications because of the car accident um but my pain that I was having in my abdomen was not being helped by the pain medication. And I was so over it. I was crying in tears and I was just like, just give me anything. And my ex-husband used to smoke pot and he was like, dude, I'm sure pot would help. And I'm like, I don't care. Give it to me, please. Just if it'll help, please. And so he, he did give me flour because he knew I was sensitive to it. So it was just a vape and I vaped and instantly the pain went away and I fell asleep and I think I like slept for like two days so I started really leaning on that now in Florida you can have your medical marijuana card but I was afraid that I was doing something wrong because originally from New Jersey can't have that stuff my parents also raised me the drugs were not a good thing (laughs) and honestly 
cars were my drugs. I didn't need to add alcohol yeah. or actual drugs into that mix. So uh, it was really hard for me to, to accept it. But once I realized that it was helping, I was all about it. But I wasn't being honest with my doctors. And I was getting it off the street. So it was coming from a friend. But really, where what, what can be in that? I don't know. You know? Yeah. It's coming from Colorado or California, and who knows whose hands it's going through and what's being put in it. Um, and I genuinely think I was having adverse reactions, uh, aside from not talking to my doctors about it, but, like, I was doing some weird things. Yeah. Um, my mom, uh, she types really fast on the computer, and she has, like, one of those, like, tactical keyboards that has, like, the clickies. Mm-hmm. And I love that, and I literally would just, like stand behind her and her keyboard lights up green and I would just like in a trance be watching her and like be like it's so pretty and my mom's like what mm-hmm. what are you doing like just doing really weird stuff and then um finally she uh experienced where I um had a bad episode where the police needed to get involved um from what my mom said, I, I talked to her last night about it because I, I didn't remember what what happened. But from what my mom said, um, my one cat was, like, clawing up the carpet, trying to, like, get it, like, stick his arm under the door. Like, just how cats do. You know, they're playing. And um, it was, like, late at night and I was trying to sleep and got mad at him and evidently took him and into the laundry room and we were going at it. I don't know what I did. Um, I do know that he was in a laundry basket and, you know, basically I had trapped him in there. Again, did not need to go to the vet. He was okay. I still have him to this day. He loves me to death. <laughs> he is my heart cat. Um, But I do know that I did hurt him. Um, And I was scared because I came out of it out of the episode like when after the police had already gotten there like I like started coming around and I was freaking out because I was like what happened what did I just do like there's no way like and the police were ready literally to kick in the door and um so once I opened the door cat ran out they checked on him he was okay um he they needed to take me to the hospital and Baker act me and figure out what was going on. Um, they took me, I literally was only there for like two days, not even, um, not enough time (laughs) in my mind. It was more than enough, but definitely not enough time, um, to really have like a full understanding of like what was going on. Cause that was the first time. And actually the only time that anything had ever happened to my cat. And, um, I'm actually a cat person more than I am a dog person. So again, just very scary to me because I just, it didn't make sense to me. That math wasn't mathing. I'm like, there's no way I would never, I would never do such a thing like that. And, um, so I was, they corrected, they got me in touch with a new psychiatrist and my mom was like, okay, I'm going to drive you to the appointment and we're going to go, we're going to get you help. We're going to get you on the right track. And again, was in complete denial, didn't want to do it, was against it, felt like, you know, everyone was just out to get me. And uh, unfortunately, I, I did go to the psychiatrist. I did talk to them. My mom was there. So like 
she knows I did talk to them, but it wasn't, again, it was kind of like that beginning experiment of, okay, I've listened to what's wrong with you. I'm going to try and put you on some medications and hope that that helps. And, you know, obviously it takes months or weeks for you to figure out what doshas you need and whatever. So I started on stuff, but it wasn't obviously all the right stuff or even the right dosages. And I had another episode a few weeks later. Um, Sylvia had, I had left, gone, I think to Duncan or something. I came back and my dog had chewed, I think it was like an eyedrop bottle or, or it was my glasses, something. And I had my arm through her collar so she like couldn't get away. It was like a thick collar. And, um, but like, so I wasn't like holding her or anything, but I was yelling at her and my mom came in from the other room and like essentially was like telling me to stop and like was getting closer and closer. And I essentially like went to the ground and she obviously was stuck with me because I had my arm through her collar and I don't know if my mom didn't realize that my arm was through her collar, but she was literally screaming at me saying, let it, let her go. And I'm like, I can't, I did. It's just stuck. And so my mom literally tackled me and like sat, sat on top of me, um, and did what she had to do, which was, uh, unfortunately choke me, uh, literally like put her arms around my neck uh, to the point where I was starting to black out and it was just to make me stop, make, I don't know, in her mind, make her, I think it was like enough t- for my mom to get like the collar, like, or my mom or my arm out from the collar or get Sylvia away, whatever. Um, but even after the dog had gotten away, my mom was still on top of me and I was scared because <laughs> it's a very, uh, it's a very vulnerable position to be on. And my mom is a larger person than I am. So, you know, it, it was, I wasn't getting up easily. And I was, because I was blacking out and I was starting to like lose my vision and I could feel myself passing out. I did the next best thing that I could think of. And that was unfortunately, I bit her. And I bit her as hard as I possibly could because I just didn't want to pass out. I literally felt like she was killing me. Uh, because, you know, when you're in a panic, you know, psychiatric state, everything is like the utmost extreme. So even though I wasn't going to die, I felt like I was Mm -hmm. dying. And in my mind, I'm like, why is my mother killing me? And, and, uh, so I bit her, uh, I bit her arm and unfortunately I bit her breast. And in that rage or in that, I guess, moment, when she let up because I bit her, I then was able to throw her off. And I thought I was in the right. And I actually called 911 on my mom saying, oh, she tried to choke me, this and that. Um, and when the police came, it backfired. And I was the one that got in trouble because they said uh, that her injuries were much more severe than mine. And uh, I was either going to jail or I was getting Baker acted. So I chose to be Baker acted, but at the same time, I told my mom to get out and leave. And I was mad at her, again, didn't see that she was just trying to help. And uh, 
So I was in the hospital, I want to say for like a week that time. And in that time period, she left. She went back to Jersey. Um, but when I came home, my ex-husband was like, listen, we, we need to like spell stuff out. This is it. This is your final chance. If something else happens, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And, and you were off the trial drug at this point, right? It was just like kind of getting out of your system. Yeah. Yep. And and that was unfortunately like, it's like I, I, I was still seeing my OB and mm-hmm. I was like checking in. I'm like, I'm still having these problems. And he's just like, yeah, it's actually, it's crazy. Psychiatric drugs do the same thing when you take a psychiatric drug nine times out of 10, like the first couple of times you take it, you don't really feel an effect because it has to build up in your system for you to start like feeling the long-term effects of it. So same thing. It had to build up in my system. So and I was on it, like I said, for like, I think six to eight months. So I was going to take that long to come out. And yeah, so by this time it was August or I guess it was September was uh, when I was the first two times I was Baker acted. Um, the last time I was Baker acted, which was after he, my ex husband, like, like I said, he did everything he possibly could. He, he stood by me. He helped me every way he could by bringing my mom down by, you know, taking me to doctors, doing anything, uh, trying to help me with the weed, just to help my pain and uh he was even going to counseling and trying to figure out how can i help her is there anything more i can be doing and um but the final time was oh i'm sorry that was when so the final time was when she chewed my glasses that's what it was i'm sorry the, i think the second time it was like just like a like eye drop bottle the last time she chewed up my glasses and I, again, I don't know what I did. I can only just go off of what I was told. Um, but I sent a photo of her in the bathtub and it looked like she was dead. She was not. Um, but I sent it to my ex-husband and I told her or told him that she was dead. And he, of course, called the police. And when the police showed up, I obviously didn't let them in. I was still in my uh episode and within i would say like 15 20 minutes i kind of came to because my dog was helping me she was like trying to bring me out of the episode she was licking my face she was just attending to me and um you know i had called my ex-husband i told him like she's fine well, I don't understand. Why are the police here? And he's like, this is what you did. You need to come outside and you need to bring her and you need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I didn't hurt her. She's fine. She's literally right here. She's licking me. Like she, I, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. Like I didn't do anything. And he's like, no, you have to. And it got to the point where a police negotiator had to come in and she was very kind she messaged me and on my phone and was like hey you know your ex-husband says that there are weapons in the house you know and that you have your conceal you know do you have your gun on you and I'm like it's not on me I'm like it's in my bedroom but it's disarmed like it's not loaded or anything and I was like but yeah I was like my ex-husband has a ton of guns they're all over the house I was like I don't even know where all, all of them are and So because I said that there were guns in the house, that then meant she couldn't come in and talk to me because that's a threat. Like I could harm her if I wanted to. So 
I, I was then told I had no choice but to come out. And again, I was not coming out for any reason. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to the hospital. And um, unfortunately, I that meant that I literally watched them close down my street. They had police car. I could see police cars. Uh, I was in a townhome that had two stories. I was in the second story in my bedroom and I could see that they had like a big police truck blocking the one way and that there was cops all like like behind trees, behind fences, like very extreme. And I'm like, what is happening? And the next thing I know, I see a drone. And I'm like, really? A drone? I'm like, bro, like, I'm, it's not like I'm out here like holding a gun to my head or saying I'm going to shoot the cops. Like, what the heck? And then they start ripping my fence down. And I'm like, what is happening? And they have this like little remote control, like robot camera thing. And it's on like little tracks and it comes into my fenced in yard. And I'm like, what? Like, what is this is way too extreme for this. And so finally I told them, I'm like, please like stop destroying my stuff. I'll come out. And I came out and I opened the door and my dog runs out and like, she runs out and tail wagging, so excited and happy to see everybody greeting all the cops, greeting it. And like, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then the, they see that she's just being friendly, being a, just the pupper. And uh, they have me come out and they make me turn around, walk backwards and they cuff me and they check her over. They see that she was fine. And and they were like, what, what, why did you say that she was dead? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't remember. And so then they put me in the back of this cop car and I talked to the police negotiator. And again, they were like, listen, I understand you didn't do anything, you know, to actually harm the dog, but we still have to take you. So like SWAT had come like, like the whole, like that, that our remote control thing and the drone that was all from SWAT. So like the SWAT truck was on my lawn. So, I mean, if you're a neighbor, you can clearly see something is going down. <laughs> and again, I was in, I think I was in there for like nine days. I was Baker acted. And when I came home, my townhome was empty. My ex-husband had taken all of his stuff, had taken the dog left my cats, <laughs> um, but had taken the dog and all of his stuff and that was it. And we were at the end of our lease. Like we were weeks away from like resigning. And I got a letter from the HOA and they were like, oh, we're removing you because you discharged a firearm. And I was like, excuse me? And they're like, yeah, you discharged a firearm. That was why the police were here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I did not discharge a firearm. Like you can see in the police report that there was no firearm discharged. Like, you can't do that. That's illegal. Like, you're trying to kick me out for a reason that didn't happen. And they're like, oh, well, our decision's final. So literally, I had two weeks to find somewhere to live. And with two cats. <laughs> and I'm like, where am I going to go? And I wasn't working I, because I was going through all the medical stuff. So I reached out to my ex-husband and I was like, hey, like, I know you took all your stuff, like, but I need your help. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he was like, I don't care. Go to woman's shelter. And I'm like, but I'm going through like all of this stuff. Like, I, I'm, I'm not doing it on purpose. And uh, he's like, I can't handle it anymore. So I had an ex-boyfriend that was um, 
I was still friends with, still in touch with. And he had come over and was staying with me to make sure that I didn't hurt myself, like, after Dylan had left because they were... He was... A lot of my friends were, like, pretty sure that, like, I was going to, like, either kill myself or self-harm. and Because it was very shocking to come home to an empty townhouse that has been filled for three years. And uh, so when I was staying with him... He was living with an ex-girlfriend. Or, I'm sorry, so he was staying with me. He was staying with an ex-girlfriend. They had an apartment together. They were on the lease together. They lived in separate rooms, whatever. Well, she knew I was going through all of that stuff because I was close with him still. And um, when she found out that he was staying with me, she started going crazy, started, uh, like, sending pictures of her cutting up his clothes and destroying his room. And he had some guitars and some expensive stuff that like was sentimental to him. So he didn't have a car. So I drove him over to the apartment and went up there with him. Well, they went and had it out in his bedroom while I was in the living room, just on my phone. Well, she comes out and she's screaming and yelling and he's like, okay, let's leave. And I'm like, no, she needs to go clean up that stuff in your room. Like, that's not okay. She destroyed it. If she doesn't clean it up, I'm going to destroy her stuff. Like, that's not cool. And he was like, no, no, no. We, it's fine. Like we, we talked it out. Just let's go. And I'm like, fine, whatever. And she was in the kitchen and there was like an island separating us, like was not ever near her. So I leave, I go down the stairs and I thought he was right behind me. But he wasn't. And the next thing I know, like 30 seconds later, I hear the door come and then he's coming down the stairs. So there was like maybe 30, 60 seconds between when I was left and when he left. And next thing we know, she's saying that she's going to the hospital and that she's going to press charges against me. And he's like, for what? And she was drunk at the time when we had gone over there. She had an alcohol problem, unfortunately. And that, that's usually when she got bold and started doing things. She would drink, get angry, start going crazy. Like, she locked him out on the balcony and stuff like that. And um, so she said that I had punched her in the face with a pair of brass knuckles. And when I said, oh, I beat her up. And, and he said, no, you punched her. I'm like, punched her one time? Like, what? Like, mm-hmm. and... He's like, that's what she's saying. She says she's going to the hospital. And I'm like, but she was fine when we were there. So we think that she either passed out and hit her head or she did it to herself because she's done things to herself to try and get him in trouble. So she said that I had punched her and I said, okay. I was like, well, here's a really easy solution. I was like, what what side of the face is it on? Because I'm left-handed. I was like, is it on the right side of her face or the left side of her face? Because if it's not on the right side of her face, it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it wasn't. And so I'm like, this is super easy case close. I literally didn't do it. So I think nothing of it. We leave. We had left already. Like this was, we were at my apartment. Like when she was texting us this, like we had already like made it back to my place. And we're like, are you serious? Like, what did you do? And a few days go by. It's like midnight. I hear a knock at the door. I open the door. It's the police. And they're literally arresting me. 
for hitting her. And I'm like, what proof do you have? Like, please show me the evidence. I'm like, here are my hands. I don't own brass knuckles. I'm like, I don't even know where to get brass knuckles. <laughs> like, not a thing of, I was like, eh. and just punching somebody one time. Like, I'm sorry, if you're going to fight somebody, you're going to beat them up more than just one punch. And especially me. <laughs> so it was just kind of like one of those things where I'm like, like, think, like you guys need to look at the big picture, not just go off of what one person's saying, because that just means that I can hurt myself and say, you punched me and not have any evidence to it, but except for the fact that we were in the same room together at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's, that's so beyond unfair. And I, and, and, you know, I had seen things about like police unfair treatment, but that was really the first time I had experienced it. But I thought because I was confident I didn't do it. It was a simple open and closed case. I will have no problem. I'll go to court. I'll fight it. So spend the night in jail, whatever, I get released. And while I'm out, I had decided that I was going to go to an outpatient program at a hospital where I was basically going to learn coping mechanisms to my mental illnesses. And they had diagnosed me with dissociative disorder. Now, dissociative disorder is a derivative of dissociative identity disorder, which is multiple personalities. So to have DID, you need to have trauma. You get that's when usually you get the multiple personalities, the multiple, like the, um, the people, like the protectors and stuff like that. But I had trauma in my childhood, but not enough to make me split. But they said it was enough to make my brain do the same thing, which is shut off to the outside world and put somebody else in control. Now, the difference is people with DID, they typically have memories or that one person will hold that memory and it shows up earlier in life. So they were like, you have this, but it's not this big, horrible thing. And and it's something that they said I could treat. And I was like, okay, yes. Like, that, that was hope. So do you think that the medication or the trial drug that you were on kind of... Oh, yeah. they So, so basically, any psychiatric problem I had growing up basically got amplified times a thousand from the trial drug yeah and i didn't realize this until so i was going through these this class this coping mechanism um and i had joined some facebook groups now i've been told like be careful they can be toxic but i was like oh i'll just join them just see if anyone like just a not to feel alone because again yeah. i was young and B, I just wanted to see what other people were experiencing to see if, like, is this my endometriosis or is this something else? And what I actually ended up learning was that the trial drug I was on was or is uh, they use it to treat prostate cancer. And it is also one of the drugs that they use to, for puberty blockers for transitioning transitioning teens so i find it interesting that they're giving the this medication to teenagers and i'm like if i had these crazy reactions and i'm 28 and you know te- 
hopefully and technically my brain is fully developed mm-hmm. at 28 what what's happening to these kids that are on this drug at 14 15 years old because i that scares me i mean i i mean like i know that not everyone's going to have the same experience that i did but it's way more common than you would think that was like a, a whole commonality throughout all the Facebook groups was of people having those like blackouts. Not and... not necessarily the blackouts, but like having extreme reactions. Okay. Like like so like having panic attacks or having um I was having a problem where I couldn't tolerate food. I literally couldn't eat and I had lost like 30 pounds. I was like skin and bones. And the only thing I could end up tolerating in the end was like white rice and plain pasta. Mm -hmm. And that was like my diet for like a year. And I was able to slowly reintroduce food, but it was, it was hard. Like I was eating like once every couple days. So after the six to eight months of you not being on it, did you find that those blackouts stopped? So after I had been arrested the first time, I was going through this school mm-hmm. and at so it was at a hospital. It was an outpatient program at a yeah. hospital. And um while I was there, I was seeing a secondary psychiatrist and my ex-husband had said, Listen, if you get a note from your psychiatrist saying you're no longer um a danger to yourself, others, animals, anyone, I will give you back Sylvia my dog and I'm like okay cool so that was my goal that was what I needed to work towards I had worked towards that I actually got it and I went to go get my dog and I went about it the wrong way complete wrong way I just showed up to his work demanding give me the dog it was never a conversation it was just hey I did this now you hold up your end of the deal I'm here and it I ended up getting trespassed from his work. Uh, I ended up not getting the dog <laughs> and causing a lot of problems for myself. And I actually ended up getting served a restraining order. And I was at the hospital when I got the restraining order. And I was super pissed, super upset. I didn't want to sign it, didn't want to do anything. And at that point, I was I was like over it. I had like my mind was like checked out for the day. I was like, nope, I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to go home. And I actually coincidentally had a psychiatrist appointment later that day. So I'm like, I'll be fine. I'll just go home, cool off, go to my psychiatrist appointment. They were like, no. They're like, you are going to self-harm. You're a danger to yourself. You're uh, really upset right now. So we're going to Baker Act you. And I'm like, why? Because I got served a restraining order? Like, that that doesn't mean you have to Baker Act me. So I got pissed. So I literally walked out. And I went home and I left. Uh, But they called the police and the police showed up. Um, I was in my house. This is another horrible part of my story. I was in my house. I was on the phone with my mom. I told her what happened. I started to get ready to go to my psychiatrist appointment. I walk out, I get in, I sit in my car and I go to shut the door and somebody grabs my arm and I'm freaked out. And I'm like, oh my God. And it's a police officer. It's a female police officer. And she's like, oh, are you Angela? You need to get out. You need to come with me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why? I'm literally going to the doctor. He's like, and she's like, no, no, no. And I'm still on the phone with my mom. <laughs> just, and 
I'm telling you, I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't need to be Baker acted. I'm not self-harming. I'm not a harm, danger to myself. Like, I literally just want to go to my doctor's. And um, I don't remember everything she said, but essentially it was along the lines of as soon as her partner got there that she was going to rip me out of the car. And uh, I actually was 36 hours post-surgery. I had just had Botox injections on my bladder literally 36 hours before. And so I actually wasn't even supposed to be at the hospital that day. Like they wanted me to take like two, three days off and just stay home. But I was like, so like dedicated to going and wanting to learn and want to do better that I was like, no, I'll just go anyways. And then that happened. So I was like, really, I'm being punished and I shouldn't have even gone anyways. Like, so I was just super pissed. Well, she did end up ripping me out of the car and they were pushing me on top of my car and I'm on my bladder and I'm pushing back off and I'm screaming and crying in pain, like in agony. And, uh, when I get super anxious or super like, I want to get hurricane brain. I, sometimes I literally lose the ability to speak and I can't get out what's wrong So I'm pushing back and they're screaming at me that I'm resisting and I'm just crying at them. No, I'm not like, I can't get out. Like I just had surgery. I just like nothing's coming out. And, um, finally I get handcuffed. They bring me over to her car and I handcuffed behind my back and they're patting me down. I'm like trying to calm down so I can tell her like, Hey, I just had surgery. Can you please be careful? And she gets to the point where I can hold on to her, grab her hand again, still handcuffed. And I just had her hand and I'm just holding her hand and I'm just trying to get out, like, just have like a human connection. Like, you know, like, Hey, I'm hurting. Like, this is what's happening. And I couldn't get it out fast enough. And she literally punches me in the stomach and pushes me into the back of the police car. And I whacked my chin. I had a huge like scrape on my chin because it's like a hard plastic in the backseat of cop cars. And um, they like then like grabbed me by my shirt and I had like hit my knees and scraped my knees up. And um, when I had been being pushed on top of my car, I got knocked off my feet and I had kicked one of them. So literally they were arresting me for assault on a police officer, even though I was supposed to be Baker acted, which like they're not supposed to be able to arrest you if you're being Baker acted because technically you're having a psychiatric problem and event and you need help. So, I mean, like I've literally heard of people like punching, biting, like spitting on cops and they're like, yeah, they're having a mental breakdown. Like that's not their fault. Yeah. So I got arrested again after I was already out on, um, I, on, on, I think it's called like SRO, like on recognizance, supervised recognizance. And, uh, so I was like, had to check in. So I got arrested again and, uh, for assault on a police officer. So again, something I technically really, I, I didn't do like, uh, yes, I did do it, but like, I, I didn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. intentional. Um, so I was super upset and super pissed off. And at that point I was ready to like hurt myself. So they put me in the psych unit and they put you in the naked box for, you know, 36 hours. I think because I was, I went on a weekend. So like I had to wait and it's freezing cold in there. 
And uh, I actually spent 36 days in jail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, not a lot of people know. <laughs> it, it was really, really rough. I went, I was in the psychiatric unit of it. So I probably had a little bit better than most. I had my own private cell, my own private toilet, which is probably a godsend. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of people like cycling in and out. And I was just waiting for my court date just to be like, Hey, I didn't do these things. What can we do to like get this fixed? Um, but unfortunately that takes a little bit. And, uh, I finally had made a deal. Like they were like, yeah, no, like we don't have proof for the first one. Second one, um, my, the town that it was in, uh, they actually didn't have body cam footage. So there was no body cam footage of anything. So basically they were like, if you don't get in trouble again, just you're on probation after probation, it falls off your record. You'll be fine. And because I'd never been in trouble before. Um, so that was the deal I took. But in that time, I like they take you completely off of every medication. Like you don't, you only get the bare minimum. If you're a diabetic, you get your diabetic needs met. And if you're like on blood thinners, you get your blood thinners met. Other but than no that, psychiatric medicine. No. Nope. Which I think was a godsend. Um, I think I had been experimented on between the psychiatric the hospital I was going to plus my own psychiatrist. And then on top of that, I was smoking weed. So I came completely off of everything. And then I, I essentially stayed off of everything even after I got all, out just until I could figure out like, okay, like I definitely need this. I don't need this. Like, and from there I just like stepped back up. But, um, when I got out, it was, again, I was ashamed because I had just gone through something that nobody ever wants to go through. Um, and I didn't see it at the time, but thousand million percent believe it was my universe, my higher powers way of saying, hey, this is what your life's going to look like if you don't get your crap together because yeah. this is the path you're going down. And uh, and it was definitely an eye opener. And, and I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I do now. <laughs> and it's. It's so crazy because then, like, I felt like that was my, like, reset button. Because, like, after that, I had never had any more blackouts. I never had, like, I'd have panic attacks every now and then. But, like, I was getting better. And I could see that I was getting better. And you think it was partially because you got off all the medication? Yeah. I think it was just, like, a complete hard reset. Okay. And uh, I actually, I stopped smoking weed. I didn't smoke weed for like a year. I just was like, I need just mm -hmm. to figure out what I need versus what I think I need yeah. and go from there. And so that was the end of 2019. So 2020 was basically like my fresh start. I went, I had to go to court for my, the restraining order uh, for my ex-husband. And he wanted like a permanent restraining order. He was like, no, I never want to talk to her again. And the judge was like, no, she's not doing anything bad. She's getting better. Mm -hmm. She's not reaching out to you. You're fine. So he actually dropped the restraining order. And uh, 
literally as we walked out, he waited for me outside the courthouse and we had a conversation and we actually talked and we did try and see if like this was something we could fix. He did let me see Sylvia. He did let me, you know, spend time with him and her. And uh, in the end, we just knew it wasn't going to work out. And it was hard. I didn't definitely didn't want to let go, but I knew it was definitely for the better. And but he recognized that I did need a service dog and that I was doing better. And he was willing to give Sylvia to me. But at that point, he kind of turned her into a shop dog. So she was no longer doing service dog things. <laughs> she was just a pupper now. Um, so he, he felt really bad. And he was like, I will help you get another service dog. And he was like, you just need to find a litter, find, you know, do some research and um i want to say it was like a day or two later i just happened to find my current dog's litter and they uh they breed for the military and police for miami and fort lauderdale so i was actually part of their first public breed wow and they uh were super excited to hear that i wanted to use her as a service dog and she was picking the litter so i got to pick yeah. her so what kind of dog she's a purebred black german shepherd that's my that was like well yeah. it was my dream dog and then i got my black lab, so cute. you'll have to show me pictures oh she's the best and uh so i got her like in april mm-hmm. like of 2020 so like literally at the beginning of covid but i got her and just started bringing her to work and she yeah. just instantly started following me instantly Aww. was attached to my yeah, head they're so loyal and i I'll be honest, I was terrified, terrified to get her because I was like, oh my God, like, what if I, I'm doing this alone now? I'm yeah. not doing this with somebody else. And I'm like, what if I do have another episode? What if I do, you know, mess up? What if I do hurt her? And like, that was like, my biggest fear. And like, I was so, I, I, I was hurting even though I hadn't done anything yet. And, and he, I, God bless him. He he literally he supported me. He was like, "No, you got this. You're you're going to do better. You're going you're okay. You're oh. He's like, "You you're full of love. You're going to you're going to make it work." And I and she literally was the reason why I got out of bed and like because I didn't want to clean up her piss or her poop, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I'm like, "I don't really feel like yeah. doing that. So let me go get out of bed." And and then, like, once I was out of bed, like, I'm like, okay, now I have a reason to stay out of bed. Like, I'll go to work. I'll, I'll function. And, and she came with me. And uh, it was awesome. But through that, like, I, I was dealing with a lot of depression. And um, my I fortunately had my best friend who I met when I first moved down there. Um, I'm going to refer to him as Jay. Uh, he was able to stay with me. And um, I had moved when I moved out of that condo with my ex-husband, um, literally like right before I got arrested the second time, I moved into a bedroom uh, from somebody I knew through the car community. And it was just a little little room about this big. And I was me, my two cats, I had a hedgehog, and then now my puppy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, again, I was super depressed. I was like ready to, to end things. And, you know, he was like, no, he's like, I'll help. And and he literally would come and stay the night and like literally just make sure that I was eating or, or just getting up and going to the bathroom. And, and what can I get you? What can I do for you? And, and then 
but I was still going through my psychiatric stuff. Now, granted, I wasn't having blackout episodes or, or doing horrible things like that, but I was angry. I was super angry at the situation. I was super upset at myself. I was angry that the doctors like hadn't told me all of this stuff. And then also angry at the fact that I had been told all these years that it was all in my head in reality, it wasn't. And, you know, look at what it, what, look what it's done to my life. And, uh, so unfortunately, like I did take it out on him, like verbally, not, not physically or, but you know, he was just my punching bag because he was my safe space. He was the only person that was around and he didn't deserve that. And he had no, uh, he had no obligation to Mm -hmm. stay. Like he, he has a wife and kids and, and, but he knew that I needed that and knew that I didn't have anybody else and I couldn't be more grateful for him. Yeah. And, uh, so crazy enough, I continue. He helps me continue through work. I had a car, another car accident where I needed, uh, neck surgery and um i needed a disc replace in my neck this happened uh, july 2020 so december 2020 was when my my uh, surgery was going to be and a week before my neck surgery i was in a, another car accident where i was rear-ended on 95. <laughs> yeah all of my accidents other people have caused <laughs> so i needed the neck surgery so the neck surgery happened and I came out of the surgery and I was like, something is wrong. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't swallow. Then what do they do when you come out of surgery? They make you eat. They make you drink. And I'm like, I can't do those things. And they were like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. It, it, it's just because they used a hard intubation to move your throat over. And I'm like, no, something is wrong. But okay. I go home. He, my friend Jay, was taking care of me first. Unfortunately, he had to go back to his wife and kids. So my ex-boyfriend came and was helping take care of me. And he was like, what is wrong with Harry? He said that I was as pale as a ghost. And I could, like I said, I couldn't breathe. I was coughing. Anytime I ate or drank something, I was coughing it back up. And he was like, we, we need to take her to the hospital. And, he, and my friend Jay was like, she won't go. Because <laughs> I was stubborn. And uh, so I... I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And probably three days go by and I that's about when I start losing my memory. I really remember asking for a shower because like shower is like my, my hard reset when I don't mm-hmm. feel good. And I, my ex-boyfriend obviously had seen me naked before. Don't mind him having helping me shower. So I'm literally draped on top of him just standing there in the shower and I could feel that I needed to cough. And I was like, this is not a good cough. And I told him, I was like, I need to cough, but don't look. And I coughed and he's like, is it blood? And I'm like, yeah, but it's okay. And he was like, no, 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 we're going to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, it's fine. If it happens again, we'll go. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so puts me in bed, dresses me. And the next day I asked for some tissues. I don't remember this. I coughed into it. It was full of blood. He was like, nope, in the hospital, we'll go. Next thing I remember is him putting my shoes on. And then the next thing I remember is getting a chest x-ray. And it was in the ER room. And 
it wasn't even my doctor. It was like a group of doctors just like walking by and they could see the little image of the x-ray on the machine. And the doctor stopped and was like, she needs an emergency CT scan right now. And they like took me out of the room like at that moment. And uh, it looked like I had COVID and it wasn't, it was actually pneumonia. So pneumonia and COVID both like light up your lungs the same way. And, um, but they wanted me to have the CT scan just to double check. Well, they take me to the CT scan and they try and put my arms over my head and they can't. And I literally cough off the table, like onto the floor, like up blood, like bad. And they like pick me up, put me on the table and they put my arms down they send me through. And I had three massive blood clots in my lungs. And they're like, oh, that's not good. And I had to be put on blood thinners. And uh, I was in the ICU for three days. Like, what the fuck? They literally. <laughs> when do you catch a break? <laughs> they literally. I don't, I'm like shocked at how many things you've gone through. Oh, it's, it's crazy. And, and crazy enough, that was the. That was the key to my final answer as to why all of this stuff has been happening to me. So they so crazy enough, when I go to the hospital, it was my on my mom's 50th birthday. So they're literally calling my mom going, hey, your daughter's probably going to die. Uh, she has blood clots in her lungs and she's in the ICU. She's unconscious. You need to figure out how to get down here. And it's in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, New Jersey was getting locked down with New York, like, every right. other month, I felt like. So my mom's like, I have no idea how to get down there. And But I I had made it through the night, and my, my mom had been updated. And so my mom was like, okay, I'll wait. And I, I pulled through. I spent, I think, like, a week in the step down. Like, I think it was in, like, the cardiac unit. And... Uh, I, I went home and, and they couldn't believe it. They literally like basically gave me like a standing ovation when I w- was wheeled out because they literally didn't think I was going to make it. And all the doctors and nurses yeah. like were clapping. And uh, so I go home and I go to a hematologist because I had to be put on blood thinners. And uh, the hematologist was like, oh, uh, was that your first surgery? And I was like, no, this is like my sixth or seventh. And he was like, interesting. And I'm like, Why? And he's like, you have a blood condition where your blood doesn't know when to stop clotting. It's called protein C deficiency. And it's actually in down to my DNA. I'm literally missing it in my DNA. And he's like, so you have thick blood all the time. So anytime you've had surgery or injections or anything, you are at risk for blood clots. Uh, any flight that I had been on, any anything for sitting for long periods of times. Basically, I was just asking for blood clots. Yeah. So he was like, this is why you have endometriosis. This is why it's the most advanced form at such a young age. This is why you've had all of these problems. You're my scar tissue stuff. All of it literally was answered by these stupid blood clots. Wow. <laughs> so now that you're on blood thinners... Yeah. It helps all those issues. Yeah. So I've literally, I've been on blood thinners ever since and I've had no issues. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I, I'm a klutz, so I've yeah. like cut myself and like almost bled out and almost died a couple months ago. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. So, all, so essentially if doctors had just taken the time and stopped trying to point the fingers at everybody else and been like, oh, it's this doctor. No, it's this doctor. Like, and just tested me. 
I would have had my answers years ago and probably wouldn't have gone through and all these things. And it's such a simple... Yeah. Like, if you really look at it compared to what you've been through. Yeah. And and it's a shame because, like, now, now I've gone through it. Like, there's celebrities. They're writing about it in their books and memoirs and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been going through this. Like, why is it taking celebrities talking about this for doctors to realize, oh, maybe we are being little mean and yeah a little like i it's almost like hard or horrible to say like but it's like borderline sexist it's like oh you're just blaming it because i have those parts like i actually <laughs> i told them i'm like will you just take it out and they're yeah. like that's not gonna fix it mm-hmm. because essentially when you get endometriosis you, you get endometriosis of your the organs that it attacks and at this point it's been my liver my gallbladder my colon my intestines i think also my spleen mm-hmm. so I'm even removing my uterus isn't going to help my problems, which is just so crazy to think because you're just like, oh, it's a female problem. Well, it's not just a female problem anymore. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And and I I only was diagnosed in 2021 with the blood. So it's all recent. Yeah. Blood clot disorder. Yep. Wow. 2021. (laughs) That is nuts. And you said that there was, with the trial drug, you said that there was other people too that kind of. Yeah. So, uh, when I was having my adverse reactions, I was just curious and I was looking stuff up. And yeah. that was when I found out that it's used for all these other right. reasons. And, and you know, if I, I think like I've seen like a couple, it's hard because there's so much stuff that's filtered. Right. And, you know, what can you really believe what's being pushed through the, the uh, media? But I have seen detransitioners talk about having mental health problems that they never had prior to going on these medications and same thing with me like i never had panic attacks i never like i had mild anxiety but not to the point where like i couldn't leave my house not to the point where i was i literally was hyperventilating and passing out because i couldn't calm down yeah (laughs) like that and i and i do think too like unfortunately a lot of times people have to go to multiple doctors and multiple specialists to even get an answer. And even then, a lot of times they don't get an answer. Well, and that was like my my doctor in the end, when I had the surgery where I was finally diagnosed... He basically said, oh, well, you've seen this doctor and this doctor. It's almost like when you're not seeking it out and trying, that's when you got your answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was like the fact that like I... I think the only reason why my OB gave me that surgery was because I had had the colonoscopy and the endoscope and had been hospitalized essentially for a month. And like, I think if I hadn't gone through all those things, I would have had to have jumped through more hoops. Right. But it's just... And at least you have it figured out now, but it sucks everything you went through. And it's crazy because it wasn't just physical. Yeah. It was mental as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I was being gaslit into thinking that it was in my head. I was being gaslit into thinking, oh, I'm doing it for attention when I'm like, no, I'm in some Yeah, and then you went through too, like not even having control of yourself or who you were. Like, I feel like at one point you completely just lost that. Yeah, which is so scary. And so, I mean, because, you know, like I said, I I did some really horrible out of character things that I have to live with for the rest of my life. And and, you know, to this day, I'm still, like, whenever I, <laughs> I, I feel like I can't even scold my, my current, my pup, because, like, I just, A, like, I feel like she's just too adorable to <laughs> you know, that like, she gives the physical. Yeah, so right. Mom, like, and I also find, like, when I do yell at her, like, my hands are behind my back. Like, I, I take every step to make sure, like, I'm not threatening her in that way. Like, I'm, 
I'm like oversensitive to it just because I don't ever want to hurt her. I don't ever yeah. want to scare her. And I'm I'm very blessed that my 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 baby boy, my my bacon, my cat, he still loves me with his entire self he's yeah. he's the one that when we were talking i said he was on my lap mm-hmm. and might join our conversation oh, yeah he uh, he's amazing he's he's a cat dog and i he was my first service animal i swear yeah. <laughs> like if he wasn't afraid to go outside right. but and and i i that to me like really i think helps in my healing journey because it shows like he can forgive me you know and he can move I and know. understand like that that was obviously not normal. Yeah. <laughs> and I I I have seen Sylvia since we have interacted. Aww. She doesn't she treats me, you know, she yeah. loves me and and I've actually had play dates with my with Zilla and uh, Sylvia. And it's not something I know it's hard to because I think naturally what we do as humans when we've done something in the past whether it was in our control or not, we be- beat ourselves up for it. Like oh, that's yeah. how it is. But oh, I yeah. think too it's like part of life is going through things like this. And I just think that we have to be more forgiving to ourselves because if not, we'll never be able to move forward and learn and grow from it. And I think too, like you said, of of course it's hard because it's something that, you know, you've, you didn't have control over and you're, you're hearing it from other people. So I feel like that's even harder in a way. It's like, I did that. You don't even remember. Um, But also it, it creates this story and it, and it helps too, like, there's probably so many different trial drugs and things that, or even not even trial drugs, but like you said, Just like regular medications. Right, re- regular medications that people are on. And these things happen that might not happen to other people. So you, it's like, do you blame the medicine? Do you not? And it's, yep. it's not really, it doesn't always have an explanation, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. It doesn't mean it can't happen. Yeah. And I feel like too, like we were just talking about before, you know, we started filming, it's like, I'm sure there's so many people that have had maybe something similar, maybe not the same exact thing, but something where they're like, maybe that's why I did that or it's not in my head or I'm not going crazy. (laughs) And I think that's important because you should never stop until you get answers. Oh, a thousand percent. And and you shouldn't live with something. Yeah. And and trust me, it does get disheartening. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's almost like borderline exhausting because it's almost another full-time job right so you're just constantly advocating for yourself it's like no this pain is real you know and like, like you know your body better than anyone else yeah. so if you even after surgery if you knew something wasn't right something probably wasn't right yep. and i always say to it it's better to be on the safer side and like take those extra steps and be a pain in the ass and annoying and be like, no, yeah. something's wrong and have them tell you no 10 times than to yeah. not get up and, and try. And unfortunately, now I have the inverse problem. Now I'm like, oh, no, it's not that bad. Now mm-hmm. I'll be OK. Like when in reality, it's like very serious. Yeah. Like perfect example is, OK, it, this is not part of my previous story, mm-hmm. but the childhood story. But it's a, a perfect example of what this can do. And that's. I cut my nose. I was bleeding. I, I cut my nose with a big blade um, enough to the point where I needed four stitches. I lost a lot of blood. 911 was called. I was at work. I go to the hospital. They stitch me up. Don't give me IV. Don't give me blood. Don't take my blood. Don't test me. Nothing. Just stitch me up. Send me home. Then I keep taking my medications, which includes blood thinners mm, yeah. i thinned my system out so bad i wasn't feeling good and i kept saying oh I'm, I'm okay i'm exaggerating i just lost some blood and in reality i had just thinned my system out and i was literally like 
borderline like about to die and uh the like the artery that's in the back of your nose slash mouth basically like turned on and it was coming out my nose and my mouth at the same time and it took me probably like two minutes for me to be like oh this is this is not stopping and then I called my now ex-boyfriend and I was like hey I think you need to call 911 this is happening and he opens the door and he was like, what? He said it looked like a murder scene. Like the entire bathtub was covered in blood. It literally was just gushing out. 911 comes like they're freak. They're freaking out. They're like, how? We don't even know how to stop this. And and again, like I was just like super calm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's not that bad. Right. Because that's what you're used to. Yeah. And, and then literally they get me on the stretcher. They get me to the hospital. And the last thing I remember in the ER is them asking, will you accept a blood transfusion? And I was like, yeah. And then I lost consciousness and I woke up two days later with four blood transfusions. And like, yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, maybe I wasn't okay. Oh my god. Yeah, they said my hemoglobin was a six and a normal is like 11, five or better. Mm-hmm. And, and then even after that, I had to be put on prescription iron pills because my body couldn't like, so normally your body takes from your fat storage and i don't have a lot of fat storage we're both very small people so our bodies take from our liver and i depleted so much from my liver that my body literally couldn't replenish my liver fast enough yeah. so i had to be put on the prescription meds Jeez. yeah so that like was like a perfect key example of oh i'm fine not right. fine <laughs> oh my gosh well hopefully from here on out <laughs> yeah it's a breeze for at least uh, like 10 years yeah, you yeah. just can catch a break yeah i'm like i got all my medical mistakes. oh my god that is nuts well i'm glad that you finally figured it out but that is yeah that's a lot yeah 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 and it's but it again like it's one of those things where like now i'm doing so much better my my best friend jay like i I fully like i give him probably like 80 percent of the credit like he was 80 percent of my motivation like i would say like my 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 kid my dog was another 80 percent of that motivation Mm -hmm. like they were right there but that other 20 percent was just me and it wasn't like it wasn't good enough like I needed to get better because I saw I was being so cruel to him. He had he could have just been like, screw this girl. She's right. crazy. I have a wife and kids that I need to take right. care of. Who Who is she to me? And he just sat there and took it. And he's still by my side to mm-hmm. this day. And he constantly tells me how proud of me he is. Yeah, and even my ex-husband, like he and I are, are, I wouldn't say like we're like really close, but like we talk on a yeah, regular basis. Yeah, and it, I I feel like I keep the communication with him to make sure, like, hey, like, this is, I did this, like, is this right? Like, or like, you know, hey, like, how did you get through this with me? Or, or like, you know. Um, I feel like, too, like, there's probably some level within yourself that you feel like, not that you have to prove that that point wasn't, like, that part of your life wasn't <laughs> yeah. you, but it's almost like to show, like, okay, I'm better now. So last March, so March of 22, I had hip reconstruction and... Oh. Does it stop? I'm just wondering if there's anything <laughs> yeah. else in there. Well, so the, the car accident where okay, I was rear-ended before yeah. my neck surgery, I needed, I tore my labrum okay. and they wouldn't operate on mm-hmm. me because of the blood clots. They were like, you need to get that fixed before we operate on you. So I had to actually wait 15 months okay. from my day of accident to day of surgery. And like, 
I think it was like two weeks before my surgery. Mm-hmm. I actually saw him in person because he bought vinyl to wrap his wife's truck. Okay. So we just happened to see each other in person. We were just kind of shooting the shit. And uh, we, he like literally just stopped in the middle of our conversation. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, but he's like, you just, you're doing really, really well. He's like, you seem like you're just back to your normal self. He's Good. like, which is awesome. And then uh, since my hip reconstruction, I literally feel like I got my life back and I'm traveling again. I'm like, I've, I've gone all over the country this year. I've been, amazing. I think I'm, I've been on 21 flights this year alone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I literally feel like I have my life back and he sees that and he's like, dude, you're doing amazing. Like seriously, so proud of you. Like couldn't be more supportive. And, and that feels like really good because, you know, I do know that I heard him. And and like I said in the beginning, like this is, this is his story as well. And I know I I did truly affect him in a really negative way. And and I thought, yeah, being on the flip side of things, it it, it is a lot to deal with too. Yeah. And, and I know, like, I know I really affected his mental health and I know I'm not going to go into detail, obviously, because that's his business Mm -hmm. of what I did. But like, I, I had like a lot of guilt and I felt a lot. I think like most of my shame came from that because, you know, like, when you marry somebody, you you say in your vows, sickness or health, better or worse. And I know that, like, we always joked, like, oh, we're in this for the long run. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything happens, like, one of us is just going to kill the other one and move on. Like, it was like, that was our joke. And, like, for it to get to the point where he felt the need to leave, like, I recognize now, like, th- that's how serious it was. And, you know, again, it hurt at the time, but I don't blame him whatsoever and I fully respect his decision and and I know that not everyone can accept that or Mm -hmm. would accept that and you know I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people that are like oh screw him but I I value what I have with him now and I value the fact that you know he is able to forgive me as well as my mom my mom and I have a great relationship now that's great yeah I mean and and it took it it was not easy (laughs) yeah everything takes time yeah but it's it's I I genuinely feel like I am way on the other side of the fence and Good. doing so much better and and I'm definitely living my best life and Good. that was the other reason why I wanted to tell my story because I just like when I was going through it I didn't have hope I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel there right. was no light it was just darkness so the fact that when I found your channel and I was like oh my gosh I can I need to get all this out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, like I think some of my friends, like they knew, like obviously they knew I got divorced. They knew we we weren't together anymore. But I think everyone was just kind of like afraid to ask and afraid to pry. And to go through your whole story from start to finish, it's like you can't (laughs) really do that every time with every person that asks. So it's like a condensed story. But I'm so glad that you wanted to come on and share your story. You did amazing. Thank you, you so like, much. I, it felt like I, I, I don't even know. I felt like I was like listening to a book. <laughs> I literally or wrote a movie. it all down. I'm like, before. no, you, you crushed it. You did such a great Thank job. You. Thank you so much for wanting to share it on Thank here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Of course, of course. And I'm seriously, I'm glad that you're you're doing better. Yeah. And your health is on the on the right yes. page now. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs>